What is up, guys? Welcome to the Meeting Up Podcast. I'm Andres. This is RB3. I'm Sabrina. And this is the podcast where we talk about your favorite directors and the deeper meaning within their films. And as you guys can see or hear, things are going to be a little different because quarantine is the real deal. We are currently uh, transmitting via our locations, wherever we are. <laughs> Uh, because the California quarantine is, uh, it's it's real, and people are taking it seriously, and we are taking it seriously, and we want to show that you guys should also take it seriously. Uh, so Definitely. for the time being, this is how we're going to sound in here, at least for the foreseeable future. Hopefully not for too long, and we can get back to the studio and be a little bit more uh, on the same page as far as how we see each other. But for now, we're going to have to see each other like this. Uh, but thankfully, RB3 set this whole thing up. He's the master genius behind this, and he is in charge of all this jazz. So give it up for him, RB3. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and times are crazy, but I'm excited because this episode, we're doing a, a director, RB3, and we're doing one that you like a lot, and I know Sabrina yeah. likes a lot, uh, and that's Sofia Coppola. And I, I'm excited for this episode because I know you guys are big fans of hers, and and I, I want to start out right away with you, RB3. Uh, tell me why you're, you're such a big fan of yeah, hers. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Sofia Coppola. I've been a big fan of hers since, um, you know, uh, watching a lot of her early filmography when I was in late high school, uh, early college. Um, obviously, she comes from this family of royalty, um, the Coppola family. You know, obviously, Francis Ford Coppola, many credit him as being one of the greatest directors, one of the most um, forward-thinking directors in the early 70s uh, cinema movement. Um, She's the byproduct of that. Um, and in her own way, she's been a revolutionary filmmaker in the sense of driving um, popularity and um, a lot more conversation towards female direction um, in films. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. Sabrina, being a fan of Sofia Coppola, tell me about it. Yeah, I I grew up, of course, like I'm just really happy that we're highlighting another female filmmaker this month. Um, that makes me really excited because... I don't know, growing up, um, we've had this conversation a ton, but there's not a lot of female filmmakers to really look up to as much and ones that are as highly regarded as she is, especially growing up, of course, being a Coppola, she's Hollywood royalty. Uh, it's nepotism at its finest. It's one that used her, her position, um, to create really great art. I mean, um, she has such a specific style that I really, really admired when I was young. Um, the light pastels, the dreaminess, the way the frames looked like um, like artwork. And uh, the way I found her was on Tumblr. People would be just posting stills from some of her movies. And so that's how I got into The Virgin Suicides. I read the book before I made myself watch the movie and then got into the movie. And that one is still one of my favorites and had a really big impact on my childhood. So yeah, love love that we're talking about her today. And I kind of want to say with you, just because we've had conversations like outside of this, talking to me about not having a lot of uh, female directors or, or female artists in the Hollywood industry to kind of, you know, model after or look up to. But but it's safe yeah. to say Sofia Coppola is definitely one of them. She's been one of the most prominent female directors in Hollywood. Uh, what, what does she mean personally to you on, on a personal level? Yeah, it, it, it was one of those beautiful examples of the artistry that goes into filmmaking. I think I think the way the way she approaches filmmaking, you know, really like character driven those the shots she uses. I mean, it's just like she's so like visually profound. She kind of says so much about a character and about the story just by the atmosphere she creates. And so that's something I really love. I 
I was talking to you guys about this. I modeled my childhood bedroom when I was like 14 or 15 after the Virgin Suicides. It was just like all floral and like pastels. So just her as a female filmmaker looking up to something, someone as creative and as intelligent as she is in this field. Um, it's very, it's very inspiring. And it's very, you know, I love, love Sofia Coppola. That That's cool. Because I, I feel like mm -hmm. we talked about her being Hollywood royalty. And, and mm -hmm. it's one of those things. Uh, she is probably, uh, I consider to be the most prominent female director in Hollywood today, at least currently. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, she's got the most, some of the largest filmography that we have of any female director currently. And, and she's made some of the most substantial films as far as Academy Awards and as far as getting attention and recognition. Uh, is it safe to say that she is the most prominent female director? I mean, I feel like when I think female director, I think Sofia Coppola, uh, RB3. Well, well, she's definitely, I mean, she's one of the four um, female directors who've been nominated for uh, the Academy Award of Best Director. Um, she, uh, she, I believe she was the second. I believe there's Jane um, Champion who was the, the first and then she was the second for Lost in Translation, and ultimately Catherine Bigelow won for um, The Hurt Locker. Um, so I think you know you probably put I probably put both Catherine Bigelow and Sofia Coppola up there as like the two the two yes. goats. And then we just recently had our throwback um, of Catherine Bigelow's uh, films, uh, our our meaning of episode of that too. Um, so it's she's definitely up there too. You know, Ava DuVernay's uh, a big a bigger name. Now, but I think uh, throughout a lot of Hollywood, especially through the late '90s, early 2000s, um, Sofia Coppola was holding down the uh, the guard for top tier female talent. Um, and then that's that's not to say, you know, that's not to disrespect the work of like Nora Ephron or or Nancy Myers, who like were big in like the romantic comedy scene. Um, but in terms of, I think like Academy Award acclaim, and mainstream attention, Sofia Coppola had a lot of that more than probably most other female directors. Yeah, I think something her visual style is something we kind of see um, like emulated throughout other people, other female filmmakers work. Um, I could get into it a little bit later on, but I definitely see like certain similarities between Gerwig's style in Little Women and um, Sofia Coppola's with The Virgin Suicides, just in terms of color palette. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit later. But it is it is really cool to have somebody, you know, we're talking about Gerwig leading the charge of uh, currently right now. But it's cool to have Sofia Coppola kind of starting that a little bit early on. Absolutely. And, and obviously, you mentioned her visual style and, and how mm -hmm. prominent that is. Uh, we can't go without mentioning that she went to CalArts, uh, first of all, to study painting. And then eventually she went into photography. And that is seen in all her films. She is obsessed with yeah. visual storytelling and, and collaborating with her DPs to create something that's truly visually captivating and and that comes from her photography background for sure and a lot of it comes from framing her framing is like very key and important in pretty much every single one of her films and, and it's interesting because you could see that style that she brings into each and every one of her films that is a very much a visuals first you know everything else second kind of style from her directing perspective which i love to be honest and and i think a lot of that mm -hmm. comes from the color palette and also from the framing and her collaborations with her DPs are just really stellar. It's incredible work. Uh, and, and obviously she shoots pretty much all her movies on film uh, besides Bling Ring, I believe, which is another thing that has to be said because again, her photography background is pretty prominent. 
Uh, but I, I think we should get into it uh, right away. Her first feature film is The Virgin Suicides, I believe, 1999. Uh, and you see all of that, I believe. I, I might be wrong, but I feel like you see everything in her films just with her first feature, which is kind of incredible. Um, talk to me about The Virgin Suicides. I'll, I'll go back to you, Sabrina, just because I know this one means a lot to you. I know it's based, yeah. is it based on a novel? Yeah, it's based on a novel. Okay. Yeah, one of my favorite novels. Um I mean, just from the title card, we get that feeling right away. We get that, that youth, that dreaminess, that just like, I don't know, being like a girl. And because the title card is just basically like, it looks like little doodles. It's just a bunch of little, like the virgin suicides kind of looking like notebook doodles you do at school. Um, So that's really cool. And even just like, it opens up with this like warm and vibrant view of like suburbia. And then it immediately cuts to you get right from the beginning because then it cuts to this like desaturated cold darker um shot of the one of the youngest sister in like a bathtub and so we get that right away right from the beginning um yeah what are what are your guys' thoughts about that rb3 um yeah this was uh one of the i feel like one of the quintessential early like or late 90s films that i think this and american beauty both kind of they both came out in the same year but they all kind of touched on the same theme of like suburbia right and like the boredom that comes with suburbia and like what that um theme of like upper middle class um kind of represents and um and a community and especially within the youth um i think that's a constant theme that we see throughout in the entirety of her filmography just from different perspectives um virgin suicides dealt with you know, middle class 1950s uh, teenagers. You know, somewhere deals with a somewhere is a movie that deals with a Hollywood actor. Um, the big the big Al deals with women in um and post post Civil War after at the end of the Civil War. So it all kind of deals with this like whole con- idea of like containment and what how um how normal Americana how suburbia just kind of gives us this like um urge urgency for like imagination and just like trying to escape escapism essentially um so it, it does a really fascinating thing that i think again like we talked about in our sam and episode with american beauty i think this mm-hmm. something like virgin suicides represents something pre 9-11 and post 9-11 um i think a, a lot of american life changed post that time period and we kind of had a different outlook on what life represented during that time pre you know compared to the late 90s early 90s to late 90s to where we are now in society so it's just it's just interesting and it's different and i you know um and it just deals with so many other things outside of class and outside of boredom it deals with things of um feminism femininity like all these huge worldly topics and it's just uh it's a really great film yeah Yeah, especially like femininity Go ahead. Oh, all good. Uh, especially like femininity with like adolescents and with like teenagers. It's something that she deals with a lot in the Virgin Suicides and kind of like what it means to be a girl growing up and how you behave and how you dress and how you act. And then especially with these sisters, the Lisbon sisters that we're focused on, um, that kind of isolation that they have because their parents are strict and how they kind of are breaking out of that little like mold in their own ways and like rebellion, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. It, it's really interesting obviously the film premiered at sundance which says a lot already because it, it kind of shows the direction that sofia coppola is headed right she's headed down this path of like art house indie style 
kind of film that she kind of does in pretty much every one of her movies that she never kind of steers away from as far as genre films. Uh, But I feel like it's interesting because her movie has a lot to deal with perspective and especially female perspective. But this one also has a lot of like the creepy voice perspective. Uh, I I don't know if you guys remember that during rewatching this movie Mm -hmm. or watching this movie, uh, which I find to be kind of interesting since she is like notably a female director with a lot of female leads. Um, that's one thing that stood out to me uh, that I don't think she really gets back into into any other of her films. I mean, she might, obviously, but I feel like that's a big key in her first film. Uh, and obviously, the second thing that stands out to me is is the color palette, the aesthetic. Um, it's very, I mean, I, I think someone said it's very Terrence Malicky as far as the se- 1973 Badlands. It has that kind of feel of like, yeah. like you said, RB3, old town, suburbia, Americana, lots of colors, lots of different styles, outfits are key. Uh, this is something that she does in pretty much every single one of her films. But that, that really stood out to me, and especially the whole POV thing, because I know she likes to do that a lot. And we see that eventually with Lost in Translation, which I don't want to mm-hmm. get into just yet, but it, it shows her her focus on characters or a character kind of you know, outside looking, you know, towards something, towards a subject, whether it's yeah. the creepy boys looking at the and, girls or the girls looking at something that they could have but can't have. And all the cinematography and production design lends to that perspective. Like the all of the like Sabrina mentioned, like the switching from bright palettes to a darker uh color palette for that represents the suicide. It it shows the, all of the palettes and all the production design and colors and cinematography all go along and match with the emotion that's being expressed uh, on screen. Um, so it's just really fascinating how she's able to take all of these different tools in filmmaking. And that's not also to mention the music um, too, which is, I think, another big part of it. It's done by, um, I think, a French uh, comp- a French group or French uh, band, Air. Um, and I think the music just stands out in this movie too because it, it all adds to that kind of soft suburban mentality. Mm-hmm. I see all throughout it. Definitely. Yeah. Something I really admire about her cinematography is that handheld camera work that she does that kind of like creates that intimacy with the characters, even if they are right. a little distant characters and we don't understand them fully. It's almost like, it's almost like we are a little bit closer to them in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, this film is definitely significant for many reasons. I I like that you brought up American Beauty RB3 because you're right. That's very in the same vein, Mm -hmm. in the same style. And it was the same year, which is kind of crazy. But this kind of, it's a great first feature, to be honest. It's a really good first Mm -hmm. feature. And it's a great starting point to see all the themes and styles that she kind of delivers in each and every one of her other films. Um, any last words on this one? Because I know it, it might mean more to you guys than it does to me. So I want to make sure you guys get the last word. Yeah, I, as you guys probably know, um, I really, I really love like writing and I love screenplays and all of that kind of stuff. And it just stands out to me how like authentic and like sorrowful and like angsty this one is. Um, when the doctor says like, you're not even old enough to know how bad life gets. And then the first Uh youngest sister, um, after she attempts to commit suicide, she says, obviously, you've never been a 13 year old girl. That's just that stuff stands out to me so much. And I feel like that says so much about this movie. And just just from that interaction, we get the entirety of 
basically like the motive of the Lisbon sisters, like how how they act, like the reason why they are the way that they are. Um, so I really love that one. Yeah, it, it, and, it, and it goes to show the importance of having a female director, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many people say, oh, it would be the same if a man directed it. And, and I always come back with like, nah, it wouldn't be. Because you no. don't get moments like that from an actor, from a screenplay. You just don't get it unless you have that female director behind the camera mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. that kind of interaction. Um, yeah. RB3, any last words? Um, no, I'm a huge. I'm just a huge fan of this movie. Again, uh, big, big splash. I Sundance and competed in the Cannes Film Festival as well. Um, and I think it just goes to show the talent, the early talent uh, that he has to be a couple of possessed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe her next film is Lost in Translation, right? Yeah. Two for two. That's wild. I mean, <laughs> uh, this this movie obviously is a very popular movie. It, it won, I believe, four Academy Awards. I might be wrong. Um, but either Something way, yeah. uh, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, uh, this is a pretty stacked cast, even with just those two. Uh, mm -hmm. And the first yeah. thing I want to ask you guys is, do you think this movie holds up? <laughs> I it does for me it does okay. for me um but I could I could get that it's not like every single person's cup of tea but I think it's it's incredibly slow paced and I I think it's um I think it's done with a purpose I think that adds that like rawness and that authenticity that she's going for with a story like this um it, it highlights the isolation and like loneliness that like people could feel and so that's why to me it still does why does it not for you <laughs> uh, rb3 <laughs> um well i i personally have always enjoyed this movie um okay. i can get why people a lot of people i have heard that criticism a lot does it still hold up i've i've heard that i mean i've I, not i've heard that a lot but i've heard a lot of people that's been a dialogue about this movie for quite some time it's like the juno effect right like everybody loved juno when it first came out and then after they realized oh maybe juno's not the greatest again i love juno and i love, I this love movie. juno um but I, yeah, I do too. I think people, I love Juno too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I didn't know I think people Frank, actually said that. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's you know, it's just what people. And I, I personally enjoy this movie uh, too. I mean, I think that what they're trying to go for in terms of the yeah. theme of like a fading movie star, like you know, it's like trapped in like this foreign country. I mean, it does represent a lot of themes that are kind of outdated today. You know, in terms yeah. of like, in terms of like, you know. Um, frankly just like was seemingly like cultural boredom right like when you're mm -hmm. in this entirely exotic country but you're so rich and so privileged that you disregard that and focus more on like isolation and lonely loneliness loneliness um i mean that's something that sofia coppola's whole career has been kind of mired in criticism for with a lot of her films um we're going to talk about the beguile later but i remember being in film school and having intense dialogues and discussions about the big out and how people felt about that movie um because of what it represented um so but i mean honestly her movies obviously also come from herself and her own representation i mean she was at one point i mean she's the son she's the daughter i'm sorry she's the daughter of one of the greatest directors of all time so she's she's probably personally felt a lot of these moments of like traveling the world with her father and just feeling completely out of place you know that's probably something she translated here. And then to go back to your awards thing, it, it obviously translated in a lot of awards. It was, it did 
win one Academy Award and it was nominated for um, it won Best Original Screenplay and it was nominated for Screenplay, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor in Bill Murray. Um, so people love this movie when it came out, and it obviously has the Hollywood connection too. But I think at the end of the day, it's just uh, you know just a piece of cinema that people value. I think something has to be said as far as you can still enjoy and love a movie as much and still be able to point out things that maybe don't don't work or maybe shouldn't shouldn't have been said or shouldn't have been put that way. I, I'm speaking for my Japanese brothers, y'all. <laughs> y'all, shout yeah, out to my Japanese yeah. brothers out there. Uh, we love you guys. Ooh. I mean, there's a few scenes that they seem a little bit not cool in these movies and this movie. So it's like, <laughs> but but yeah. I, I think it's still okay to appreciate the artistry of this movie like you said rb3 uh, i was wrong I, I i said it won four it was four nominated one one which is screenplay which is mm -hmm. her i mean she won an oscar for screenplay that that's a huge deal uh, a, a female right. director a female writer winning a screenplay I, that's a that's right. something that can't be ignored uh the second mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm that can't be ignored is is this movie is just visually stunning uh it's gorgeous mm -hmm. it's a yeah. beautiful movie uh and, right. and again that comes from her that comes from her collaboration with her dp that comes from her photography background her framing her her color her use of color her use of lighting is pretty incredible throughout this entire movie and and i feel like that's something to be given credit to because that's everything inside this movie is the way that we struggle to communicate with other people when we have that struggle we can use visuals to communicate and the irony it's almost meta that she's doing that with this movie where it's like you don't understand certain things mm -hmm. so she uses the visuals and the silence of just visuals coming at you as a way to communicate messages and themes inside the movie so in a way she's still a genius for doing that and and i have to give her credit for that and that's kind of interesting the way right. she uses visual storytelling as the key yeah. uh to this movie right absolutely yeah definitely and something that i really really love about this movie is um the parallel but parallels between this one and her if you guys have noticed mm. with a lot of the right. shots a lot of the things I love that connection with these two movies because, um, to my knowledge, they were married, Spike Jones and Sofia Coppola, and so yeah. they kind mm -hmm. of. Um, I don't know. I don't know so much if Lost in Translation is. I would have to look at the years to see if it matched up, but I know Spike Jones modeled a lot of her after his relationship with Sofia Coppola. So I think that's a really cool thing, and I think that like a double feature with these two movies is kind of like a little perfect quarantine date night with yourself <laughs> right absolutely. especially especially with all of this everything that's happening in the world right now and kind of having this like isolation and loneliness and just like being inside i don't know yeah. why i want to i'm definitely revisiting it sometime this week and you get scarlet um, both yeah exactly yeah the color. color well speaking to the speaking to the color palette and the visuals of this movie um I read here, uh, I just read somewhere that, uh, at least on IMDb Trivia, that Francis Ford Coppola actually urged um, Sofia Coppola shoot this on, on video, on digital, um, back in like 2000 when that was early on. That's when George Lucas is really advocating for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then she chose to shoot it on film because she felt that that would be a more romantic uh, format to shoot uh, this movie mm -hmm. on. 
um, which, you know, you could totally see um, throughout. Um, and moreover, I think, you know, when we talk about the style and the, um, the appeal that this movie has had just um, for cinema watchers and cinema goers throughout the throughout, throughout history is that it did introduce us to um, the talent of Scarlett Johansson. It did introduce us to the kind of style of Sofia Coppola, like towards a more mainstream audience. And it also um, gave a different, unique perspective on Bill Murray, who's a traditionally a comedic act, comedic talent, um, who translated more into dramatic, transitioned more into a dramatic um, kind of um, role here um, that was outside of his niche. So it, it does go to paint multiple different portrayals of like things we became familiar with over the years. Um, so I was really excited to see that. This is definitely another one, same example as um, The Virgin Suicides, where she has that handheld cinematography and it's just so intimate. The way it just like will, it'll do a long take and it'll kind of track around Scarlett Johansson as she's just sitting there alone. Um, it's something yeah, that I it's think like is very, very naturalistic. Very, mm-hmm, very, very beautiful. And then again, um, with you saying that she chose to shoot it on film, even though her father urged her not to, I think. Yeah, with that, with that like romantic kind of lens that she's looking through, that really, really elevates the film because of that. Uh, do you guys have a favorite shot in this movie? Because we we keep talking about framing. Any frame it, uh, f- uh, favorite shots that you guys remember? Yeah, Scarlett Johansson uh, sitting down like against the window, and you could see the city. Yeah, yeah, of course. I know exactly Love what you're talking one. about. That it's is classic. so beautiful. It goes to the show. It's goes yeah. to the show. I'm saying it. That's from Ghost. <laughs> it's a beautiful shot. It's so good. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Again, Japan. <laughs> yeah. It's a Japanese right. movie. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Um, no, I, I definitely, um, I, I definitely go to the the final shot. The whole, um, the whole mystery of what, um, what Bill Murray whispered into her her ear at the end. Um, yeah. I, I definitely, I, I appreciate that one for sure. So, yeah, I also want to mention too, that this movie, um, supposedly, you know, had a lot that was written on a script level, um, but that they actually ended up, um, improvising, um, a lot of the lines, um, that they see in this movie. So it's good to know that as well. That, that adds to like the natural, yeah. adds to the natural feel that they had going, the rhythm. Because it really yeah. does have, it does have like a super raw and authentic, authentic like dialogue and everything. So yeah, best. Yeah, sure. I mean, best screenplay. There you go. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite um, shot? Yeah, um, my favorite shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what it is, and it's a weird one. It's not even like well known in the movie, but maybe because I'm a former swimmer, like a hardcore swimmer. I told you guys this last time. Uh, yeah. The shot when he's swimming. And it's underwater and he doesn't hear anything. And he just sees the, I think it's, they're doing water aerobics, the ladies, the Japanese ladies. Yeah, yeah. Up mm-hmm. and down. And it's almost like he's disconnected from it because he's in the zone swimming, but he also feels the disconnect of, I, I don't know, I think it says a lot because he feels so disconnected from the culture, even though he's in the same pool with them. And yeah. it's like he's sharing this moment of exercise, but he can't connect with them at all. And it's like, they're almost kind of like, leaping away from him in some sort of way and mm-hmm. it's this metaphor of like the entire meaning of this film of being lost in translation uh i, I don't know it just meant a lot to me as a swimmer i was like oh i feel that i felt that uh, <laughs> so that's my favorite um but anyway uh before we move on to break we have to talk about uh her most infamous 
famous movie ever uh marie antoinette um Mm -hmm. which premiered i believe it premiered at Cannes. um and i think people didn't like it at Cannes. (laughs) yeah i i I think people uh have mixed feelings about it in general um yeah i sabrina well to me i haven't seen it yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's probably, uh, other than visually, I think it's one of her most like, un- unforgettable works. Um, so it's something that I have not revisited probably since I got into Sofia Coppola, like, years, years ago, so. You, you mean forgettable, right? Is it something that you, you love and that you can't, it's always stayed with you, or? No, or literally... You- the, the opposite, just visually, um, but I didn't, I, I don't know, at the time, um, I didn't really enjoy it that much. And then I haven't gone back, which I, I so, would really like to. Yeah. So, so to be fair, um, this is a period piece, so it's not up your lane, RB3, I know that. Um, <laughs> I do. But I also believe that yeah. a lot of the disconnect between the audience and can a French audience, and this is an old, uh, a period piece of like 18th century France, and her kind of disregard for historical accuracy might be a, a little yeah. sensitive to people in France. Uh, and yeah, her, I think like modern songs being blasted in your face was a bit. I think that's yeah. the, I think I think the songs. I think the songs are the biggest thing. I think that's what really advise people. And I think it kind of to me it kind of it kind of took me out of the movie too. Even when I yeah. ever since that's been my only real beef. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, the songs, the songs are used, the the songs are used way better in Marie Antoinette than in Suicide Squad. Don't don't doubt that. But I think what I think I think what people criticize the usage of modern music and this kind of like period piece movie is just the fact that like she's taking this historical, um, notable, noteworthy figure and then transforming her into a more, um, it's it's transforming that story into a modern day angsty. Um, teenage um, coming of age film. Um, yeah. Whether that choice is something that people enjoy, people don't enjoy, I think that's you know to to each their own. Um, I think it's interesting and idea. I don't know in execution if it really landed for me all of that hard. Um, but that being said, the actual story of Marie Antoinette is like really really interesting. I mean, she was like this dictatorial um, presence, but then she also had this extreme fantasization of like not having wealth, um, which again is something that we see in a lot of Sophia Coppola films, you know, as up, up until this point with Lost in Translation, with we're going to talk about with Somewhere and Bling Ring and The Beguile, like these, like these figures who are so um, bored and mundane with, you know, upper middle class slash rich lifestyle that they partake um, a poor kind of sensibility just for the fun of it. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting. Yeah, it's I, interesting in that and that that she chose to make that figure, that historical figure, and 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 that's that's the connection that yeah. I think she had to her. I, I mean, I, I think what she was trying to do was show kind of the idea of like uh, teenage girlhood is timeless, uh, and it could be similar to uh, a modern teenage girl to this uh, you know timeless figure of Marie Antoinette. Um, and yeah. I don't know, again, I'm going to see Little Women, but I almost feel like <laughs> Greta Gerwig might have done a better job of the same message of showing the teenage girlhood 
being timeless throughout time and kind of having those struggles. I, am I wrong in that or no? Oh, no, I 100% agree with you. Um, taking on a period piece and then modernizing it doesn't have to be making this like this like super angsty going overboard type of thing there's there's a line to toe here because then it just reaches a certain point of like yeah just not really connecting um as much yeah 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 a little bit and and that's how little women did a lot better of a job which you still have to watch i'm gonna hold that against you until you watch it (laughs) uh last thing about this movie is uh we can't ignore the fact that the cinematography is just wild. Like it's so freaking good. It's yeah. at least me. I don't know. RB3, you seem like you don't 100%. agree, but no, I do agree. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just a really well shot movie. And again, this is coming from a period piece fan. I love this stuff. Uh, and it's still shot like quality, quality stuff. I, I, I really enjoyed yeah. visually what they were doing. Everything else to me just, didn't work um yeah but that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what i said earlier um that's the stuff that i remember about this movie and the rest is just and then like angsty punk music and then the rest is just kind of like i don't know i haven't haven't revisited it since but <laughs> all right all right totally get it all righty yeah. guys after the break we're gonna be getting into the rest of her film starting with uh somewhere then bling ring and obviously the beguile to so make sure you guys stick around this ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the four fifth divide you in half, you getting at me equals a club half. You do the math, take you out the equation. Check out Sabrina's review of The Invisible Man, available exclusively on First Cut. Enjoy. Lee Wan L digs deep under our skin with his beautiful writing and directing, completely immersing us into the world of our main character, again played by Elizabeth Moss. Um, she completely shines in this role. I think she gave one of the most haunting performances since Tony Collette in Hereditary. We feel her exhaustion, her claustrophobia, her fear. It's just completely palpable. It's one of those performances that is extremely, extremely special. I was really blown away as to how Wanell kind of created this atmosphere of tension, especially with our villain being invisible. It's interesting the way he uses the spaces and the frames and like the voids in the shots to scare us we feel we feel that claustrophobia we feel like he's anywhere and everywhere nowhere kind of all at once come along children now we're going to have a little music what is up guys we're back talking about sofia coppola now let's get into the latter half of her films uh starting with 2010's movie called somewhere starring Stephen dorff uh, and Elle Fanning, we got that right now. Uh, and this is a, it's a very different movie. Uh, talk to me about this one, RB3. I know you're a fan of it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of um, Somewhere. It's one of my favorite uh, recent movies that I think I, I've, um, especially the last decade, I think it really speaks to like this quiet mundaneness that has been transparent throughout a lot of Sofia Coppola's filmography. Um, but I think it's really prevalent here. Um, the idea of having um, this famed Hollywood actor who's kind of living vicariously, um, you know, with a rich uh, lifestyle, but um, kind of just overwhelm- overwhelmingly bored with like regular life and how bringing his daughter into the equation, who he's been kind of back and forth on seeing his entire, throughout her entire life, um, he starts to reevaluate what 
life truly means? Is it more than just being there? Is it more than just being there for yourself, or is the purpose of life uh, to be in service to someone else, or to be connected with someone else? Um, so it deals with a lot of really prevalent things that I think are just really, really interesting and cool and, and fun. So I, I, I overall, uh, this is one of um, the more unique films in um, Sofia Coppola's filmography, but it's definitely my favorite. Yeah, Sabrina. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it's definitely from all of what you've said that makes me want to check it out. Um, yeah. You know, I, I saw it on Netflix, I think at one point, I probably watched it in passing. That is why I'm so bad with streaming. And so this entire like movie theaters being shut down and only resorting to streaming uh, has kind of been a struggle for me. It's it's hard to not look at my phone when I'm watching something. So some of the stuff I've seen on Netflix throughout the past few years, um, I just kind of, they don't really stick with me. So that's unfortunate, but I'll definitely try to check that one out again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one is a very, uh, I feel like it might be one of Sofia Coppola's most different films, at, at least what she's shown us before. Uh, first of all, uh, Elephant in the Room, we have to start out with the fact that it starts a dude, um, which is not something that's super common in all her films. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It, it definitely deals with the whole Hollywood aspect as far as almost like a dual life that Steven Dorff's character has as an actor where he has one life and he's one way with his daughter. And then he's in his different mundane kind of going with emotions as far as a Hollywood lifestyle perspective on his other life. Um, and it's kind of him trying to deal with the two and kind of bring the two together. Um, it, it's, it's a diff it's very different because it feels like uh, visually, for example, I feel like it's the most minimal of Sophia's films as far as what's in the frame, uh, the use of color. It, it feels like most of it uh, is in a, you know, hotel room, a crappy hotel room with the white walls, with the one bed. And it feels like it doesn't have a lot visually telling you as far as color wise and as far as framing wise. So I feel like that's so different for her. And I almost feel like she's pushing herself to do that and challenging herself especially coming off Marie Antoinette when there's so much in the frame and there's so much color, the buildings, the architecture is all there to help her right. as a DP and, and as a visual storyteller. Um, I, I, that's the well, first thing that I have to say about this film and, and it well, really stands out. I think towards the beginning of the film and, you know, I think this film is very interesting in a lot of ways because it is very visually, it is very visually heavy. Uh, but I think in the beginning of the film, you see like the colors and the templates go represent yeah. the luxurious um, lifestyle that that this character is living, like the fancy like the fancy hotel rooms and the fountains and you know the LA scenery. Um, but after a while, um, it presents it almost so much that it feels like there's a stillness to it after a while. Like it feels like there's no movement, there's no energy to it. And it goes into, as we talked about with Virgin Suicides, how Sophia Coppola's style is very much invoking of the character's like individual emotion. The emotion yeah. of this film goes to express the boredom that um, is presented uh, all throughout this character's kind of kind of lifestyle. Um, but then, you know, um, the daughter character is played by Elle Fanning. And, you know, we're talking about how, you know, this is mostly no uh, set perspective, but, you know, the daughter plays an instrumental part in the in Stephen Dorff's character development too, largely because... Um, I think I think a lot of that is due to the fact that Sofia Coppola herself is 
the daughter of a famous Hollywood director, she's probably basing a lot of the experiences in this movie based on a lot of her experiences growing up. Um, so I think overall, I think this movie feels very personal. Um, it, I think it's probably one of the lower rated films on her filmography from, you know, at least according to IMDb or whatever. But I think a big part of that is because it has this kind of raw naturalism. Like I said, the first 15 minutes don't really have a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of improvising that's going on, but it's really about a lot of the silence and stillness that happens and awkward relationships between mother, uh, father um, and daughter, um, especially when they're kind of like estranged. So it, it, it's really deep, it's really personal. And, uh, I applaud Sophia Coppola for doing this one. Um, and I think for what it's worth, even though it, it does present like a very unique perspective that I'm not used to seeing in her films, I do appreciate that it has um, a different, it, it presents a different layer um, to a filmography that we've become so familiar with over the years. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, let's get into, uh, let's get into, I think it's the bling ring, right? That's the next one we have bling to ring. talk about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, this this movie, first of all, the trailer is the first thing I have to mention. Considering that the Banks, hey, yeah, you're well, right. Two on two, yep. Yo, shout out to Zalia Banks, man. Uh, Emma Watson, uh, coming off Harry Potter, that's a standout, yeah. uh, at least for me. Um, and and the fact that this movie is based on a Vanity Fair article. I, I forget the name of it, but it's something, something, you know, kids steal Louis Vuittons or they wore Louis Vuittons. Um, and it's it's based on a true story of these teenagers who went around Hollywood robbing celebrities' homes and walking away with, I believe, three million in clothes and jewelry from these like celebrities, uh, notably Paris Hilton. When she I was, I feel like Orlando Bloom too. Orlando Bloom, yeah, yeah. But that is kind of this movie. Uh, I mean, obviously, it still has a lot of visual style coming from Sophia, but plot-wise, it's so different than what she's done before. Yeah, and at the same time, kind of similar to what she's done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Talk to me about this movie, Sabrina. Uh, so I actually, at the time that the bling ring actually happened, I, I was pretty young and I, my mom was obsessed with those like people in touch, mm. all those like magazines. So I remember reading about, I, I believe one of the girls, I don't know if she isn't like the movie, whatever, Alexis Nyers, she ended up having her own like e-news television show and everything. She just blew up from all this stuff, which is so crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, But so I think the story is insane and I applaud Sofia Coppola for kind of taking it on. Whether I think she is the most effective choice for the story, that is is definitely a debate that I'm willing to have with you guys. Um, Just because again, I think, I think she loses, I think she loses a lot of like what, what she is as a filmmaker um, a little bit because it just isn't effective with this type of story. There's like, the sense of like detachment and stuff like that, that we normally see in her work. It's just like, in like all the, all the dreamlike kind of like stylistic choices she has in this one, it just doesn't, it just isn't effective. I believe. Interesting. Mm. RB3. Well, uh, you know, this film does um, depart a little bit from, I think it, it, it plays into her style a lot and also departs a lot yeah. too. Right? And um, yeah, this is one of, at least on a visual perspective, I believe this movie was 
get a shot on the red cameras or, or yeah, like, it was digital. It definitely looks. It, it you could tell it was digital, and it has that very digital yeah. kind of aesthetic that is very different than a lot of her other films. Um, so it yeah. kind of stands out on that perspective. Um, but and then you know also the tone is very different than a lot of the mm-hmm. films. I mean, a lot of her movies are a lot more like, quiet, um, mature. Some would say you know. Some would maybe argue boring. I wouldn't argue that. Subtle. Um, I would say subtle. Subtle, subtle. Um, and this movie is not yeah. subtle. Um, I think it is. I think it is subtle in a lot of ways. Um, I think the the way they handle the robbery scenes are kind of stylized in a way that makes it a, a lot more subtle. They have that like one kind of long zoom in shot for the one um, robbery scene with you know through the glass window um, that yeah. I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, it, it, it does it in a different way that's not like this heightened kind of action movie kind of idea of like a heist or whatever. It's more of like a art house interpretation yeah. of yeah. like this burglarizing stuff or whatever. So um, I, I, uh, I I enjoy this movie. Um, it's not the greatest. I think it goes up and down. I think the ending is a little, um, a little, a little, a little cooked. Um, you know, I don't know. I think they could have used a little, a little more to it. And I think, yeah. You know, it, it addresses the common theme that we see throughout Sofia Coppola's filmography of like the theme of like rich people or upper middle class people being bored with like normal society. Yeah. So they pursue avenues that really poor people would want to pursue their lifestyles as. And um, this movie is a perfect example of that. The idea of like these rich teenagers um, breaking into people's houses just for the sake of boredom, that's just what they want to do for the sake of adrenaline and, and thrill. Um, when in reality, um, a lot of times home home invasions or burglaries are coming from people with desperate situations. Um, so it's just interesting that this movie kind of portrays it in more of a like a you know more of a whimsical um, kind of way. Um, yeah. But yeah. in total, I mean, I have. Uh, I, I think this was also one of the early eight two four movies, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, this, it was. Yeah, wow, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it came out. I I know this and Spring Breakers came out like relatively close to each other. You're right. Um, yeah. yeah. Spring Breakers, I think to me at least, and I think a lot of people might agree or disagree that Spring Breakers has a much more, I guess, bold, explosive. Uh, mm-hmm. theme behind it than this movie does. This movie just kind of has the one thing of like class behind it that kind of speaks to it. The Spring Breakers might speak to a little more. I think them coming out closer to around each other's time and having a kind of similar-ish marketing campaign um, did a disparity to how people perceive the movie a little bit too. So, mm. uh, Yeah. I, I, I mean, my, my thing about this movie too that, that I think stands out quite a bit you mentioned that this is her only film that's shot on digital which is fascinating uh considering so many things but you know what i find interesting just having a conversation with you guys right now talking about sofia coppola is the fact that almost all her movies have to do with almost this you know outsider perspective uh whether it's lost in translation uh virgin suicides uh, all these movies have to do uh, marie antoinette uh, with in and in this perspective, it's kind of like you said, RB three almost this class issue of these teenagers 
uh, with their boredom kind of going after the, not even the rich, but the celebrities, right? Which is almost Mm -hmm. a different style of rich because it's so in your face of how rich they are. And, And it's how Sophia deals with that perspective coming from their point of view. That's the biggest thing that stands out to me. And obviously visually the lights, um, the lighting, the neon lights, the color lights, uh, the fact that it looks like it's shot on digital, like you said, RB3, mm-hmm. uh, is so interesting the way that she really leaned into the whole aspect of like this modern, young perspective of this generation that is really interesting. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I think it just goes to show, I mean, I think, you know, especially during a time where movies, like I said, Spring Break is coming out, the social network came out during this time. And also, yeah. um, you know, we mentioned um, G- uh, Gia Coppola as well. Her friend Paolo Alto also came out in 20, 2013 and had a similar kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So you kind of see yeah. like this interweaving kind of general digitally driven theme that represents like young culture um, that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, a, standout, a standout for me is Emma Watson's performance. That is the best part of the movie to me. I love yeah love her performance so much i i love emma watson so you don't have to convince me otherwise yeah 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 oh i love that movie oh yeah <laughs> well what's that judgment yo what's that judgment for? No, no judgment it's just yeah like it's okay she's nah, she was not nah. casted right she was not <laughs> she should not have been casted as bell Come on. Yo, get out of here, bro. Hermione Granger for life, man. Nah, that uh, auto tune's a little too much. <laughs> I'm just throwing shade I, I right now. <laughs> I love every single Disney live action, pretty much, except for maybe Lion King was okay. Uh, but everything else I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe just because yeah. I saw Aladdin? it with my. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, know, I don't understand it. I, don't I saw that it. like 20 times. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm hanging up, guys. Bye. It was good. It was yeah. good knowing you guys. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> By the way, I forgot to mention uh, Sophia Coppola's, you know, frequent collaborator, Kristen Dunst. Uh, yeah. Has a yeah. Jerry Jade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's good to see her kind of find a way to sneak into a cameo into yeah. this film plan herself. Oh, and Paris Hilton's in this too, in that cameo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they actually use yeah. Paris Hilton's real house. Um, yeah, to, to, to uh, yeah, that's those, really cool. So, yeah, quit your yeah, hate, Sabrina. This, well, I think uh, I, I, hey, I actually, I like. Yeah. I know, I know. I actually do like this movie though. Um, just compared to everything else, compared to Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides, for me, it's just not not top tier Sofia Coppola, yeah. but like. I really do admire what she was doing, kind of getting this like snapshot of that generation, that like early two thousand, like early mid two thousands, like paparazzi, low rise jeans. Like she gets, she gets it. She she did yeah. it. So I do admire that a lot, and I I do think it's a fun movie. I just I just don't think her style, uh, it kind of serves the story sure. as well as it would have maybe with somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Let's move on. So the last movies I have on my list are two. Um, I haven't seen a very merry Christmas. I'm sorry. Uh, I I didn't Is grow up. Is that the up. Bill Murray thing? Yeah, that's yeah, the Bill Murray. I didn't see that either. Uh, I'm if I'm being real, real, and I know a lot of white dudes are gonna be mad at me. Um, 
I'm not the biggest Bill Murray guy either. Um, <laughs> I just didn't grow up with him. Uh, so let's move on to the big Island. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, to, to the Bill Murray point, I, I think I became more familiar with him through both Groundhog's Day and, you know, through uh, his work with Wes Anderson. I think mm. his work with Wes Anderson. I yeah. That's mm. a lot of that. Which we should, a, we should be planning to do a Wes Anderson. Uh, he's got oh, a yeah. movie coming yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, you like West, you like, Cash, you yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna talk West. Yeah. I feel like yeah. Wes Anderson would be a two-parter. I feel like that's like a lot. There's a lot to go through. I mean, all of us to move. Yeah, yeah. I'm with it. Let's do it. That'd be a two-parter, and I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm 100 down for 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 a two-parter for that one. So, um, um, so the last the last one I have is the beguiled. Um, yeah. And I and I want to go straight to your RB three. This one won her first thing. This won her best director, I believe, at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Um, Second female to ever do it. That's huge. I mean, yeah. right off the bat. And now everything else, I'm gonna throw on to you. This is about a, a Union soldier who gets mm-hmm. stranded on like this bo- female boarding school in in Mississippi. Am I right? Yeah, I think it's like a boarding school. Yeah, it's probably a boarding school. It's like they they. Uh, a union soldier gets stuck in like Confederate grounds, and then yeah, he, and yeah, it's all he, women. It's all women who are left in this house. All the slaves have ran away, um, so it's just these four women, and then it becomes them taking in this union soldier and how his kind of influence um, kind of makes them all start acting crazy towards each other. Um, it becomes yeah. like a psychological thriller. Um, you know, by the end of it, um, it's super interesting. It's based. It they they had a, a previous version of this movie that I believe came out in the seventies that was a uh, starred a uh, 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 Clint Eastwood, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, this is like a graphic novel. Am I right, or is it a novel novel? I think it might be a novel novel. I think it might be a yeah. novel novel. Um, but like I said, they had a version that they made in the seventies, and then um, and it deals with, you know, it deals with again. Another another Sofia Coppola movie that deals with the concept of um, of boredom, of lavish lifestyle in an isolated environment. Um, what that does to the human mind, to the female mind, um, and you know, I think much like Virgin Suicides, um, it's also kind of deals with the confluence of what a man's influence is on that kind of sense of isolation to uh, women characters, to female characters, um, and what that drives them to do. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how, um, how well it communicates those things. I mean- can, can Dive into that, because I know you said this movie was controversial, especially at USC. Uh, can you tell me why? Yeah, I mean, I just had a, had a class at USC, um, had a couple of classes, I, I believe, I don't know if it was, this was on, I had a different classes with one that was focused on race, class, and gender. I don't know if we studied it there or we studied it in postmodern, but either way, we saw the movie on the big screen. We had a discussion afterwards. And a lot of people were not like really vibing with um, what this movie had, was, this movie A was had to say and B what it was doing in general. Um, a lot of people, um, some people found it just right out, straight out boring. Um, other people found it to be a, um, a more um, 
I guess I'm saying this with like lack of better terms, but uh, some people found it to be like a white feminism crusade or whatever, you know? Um, there's there's a lot of different criticisms that were levied against this movie, especially with the fact that it, it is set immediately after war, the Civil War, um, which was about slavery, and yet this featured no African-American characters. Um, that, that being said, the original book did have a half, black half white slave who was a participant in the story that, that Sophia Coppola completely cut out. And I believe in some of her interviews, she talked about taking that character out of the story because the, mov- the movie that she was trying to make wasn't addressing race, it was addressing gender. Um, so she didn't want to have that kind of presence interfering in, I guess, the story as well. So th- there's a lot of arguments levied, like, you know, in favor of and, um, against this movie um but yeah it's one of the more interesting uh pieces for sure can i can i hear your thoughts on that and i'm sorry i'm gonna go to you sabrina uh, oh no all good um, oh right now my thoughts oh okay yeah oh. no i, I just want to hear no, no, his, no, yeah, yeah. your actual thoughts you saw the movie versus sabrina and i to be completely honest i i haven't seen the movie uh, and I, yeah. I don't think Sabrina has man. either. So this is kind of your show, RB3. What are your thoughts on this movie, man? Because you kind of um, told us everyone else's thoughts. Yeah, I don't know. I see this is, I don't, I don't, this is, it's interesting, right? Because I think for me, I don't, I, I kind of just look at the movie as like the movie, right? Like the text that was given to us, right? Um, and the text that was given to us, it was well executed. I mean, it does, uh, it does, dissolve into this into this whole thing of you know i mean it, the plot the plot goes in the way the plot goes but my the first time i watched the movie it wasn't an initial thought of minds that jumped out about the racial component of it i mean that just wasn't my initial thought when i watched it um sure. i just thought it was a story about the story uh, so seeing that be an argument that people use for and against the movie it, it's kind of like I don't, I don't know how much that actually plays into it. Again, I haven't watched the 1970s version and I haven't read the novel, so maybe the racial com- aspect there plays a much bigger part into the story. But at least for the story I saw, I guess I could see why they would do that. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, um, at the same time, it's like I kind of, I kind of empathize with the argument of not having any address of. Um, I, I do sympathize with the argument of not addressing race too. I do sympathize with that argument because like at the end of the day, that is the spark, the impetus of a lot of yeah. these events. And it's not even addressed even through like dialogue or any of that nature. Um, so it would have been interesting to see that perspective represented, but I don't, I've never had any issues with that movie personally. I just haven't. Yeah. But I mean, I could, I, 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 I would be interested to watch it again through those lenses. Um, yeah. But I remember it just being such a big like discussion and topic piece. This is one of those few things that, you know, you know, RB3 has a take for everything, but this is one of those few <laughs> things that I, I, didn't really, I didn't really have a take for back then. And I, yeah. I honestly don't know where I would stand in now, other than to say that I think the acting is really well done in the movie. It's shot yeah. really, really well. It's probably one of the most beautifully shot of a couple of movies. Um, we've and seen that's saying a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, stories... You know, period pieces always confuse me anyway, so it's it's tough to even like tough to even like cook me in to begin with, but I was hooked. But yeah. I think the way it, I mean it concludes in a way, you know, that is a little weird. 
I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed what, okay. what this movie had to present. And I enjoyed um, the performances, and I enjoyed like the the theme and the the place that it represents and her overall filmography. But other yeah. than that, you know, uh, I, I have so. It's so interesting. What a way to end this episode <laughs> on the beguiled, right? Because uh, right, right, it's a movie, right. again, we have it all seen, so we can't have an, an opinion on it. Uh, if I'm being honest, the reason why I was like rubbing my head and doing all this stuff for anyone that's watching uh, is not because of your argument. It's simply because of a conversation that Sabrina and I had that I honestly I feel that I, we can't ignore it. I really didn't want to bring it up. I, I didn't, I, I swear to you guys, <laughs> whoever's listening, I didn't want to bring this up. But when I went through the Sofia Coppola train of movies, besides this one, obviously, because I haven't seen it. Uh, and and I, I was watching her, her movies. I was reading her story. I, the thing I kept running through my head was the fact that I, I just don't feel like she, I'm trying to be as delicate as I can. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, do your thing. The fact that she is Hollywood royalty, right? We can't ignore the fact that she is kind of in privileged to be this powerful director and this prominent female staple inside Hollywood still comes kind of from that word that you just used, RB3, white feminism aspect of the way it's like, yeah, women. And by women, I mean, if you're white, rich, and your dad has made a lot of movies. And it's like, you know, so far we've done two episodes this month on female directors, and they happen to be Greta Gerwig and Sofia Coppola. Like, I just feel like it's it's hard for me to get over the fact that it's like, can we not can 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 we acknowledge this at least? I, I don't know. I'm not saying it's bad or good or it, it takes away anything from her art because she's an artist. I'm just saying it's there and and we can't ignore it. And and the fact that there's other female directors who are African American, Latina, Asian who are struggling and and don't have the same opportunity as someone with the last name Coppola, and who's you know a white woman. What a way to end the episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, no, I get it though. It is, I, no, I said this, I said this with when we were doing the Greta Gerwig episode. I said that it is a very important conversation to be had, of course, because when you're ignoring it, that's when, that's when the problem is never, like, you know, it's never addressed. There, it never comes to light when people just ignore it. It's just going to continue being the same way it was. I think very recently we've seen a a huge rise in African American women storytellers. Latinx women storytellers, um, Asian American and Asian storytellers, Asian women storytellers in general. Um, and I think that's something that is progressing through the industry. Um, unfortunately, right now, um, a lot, not a lot of those directors have the same kind of filmography. Uh, obviously, we, we have the Ava DuVernay episode that, you know, she's had a substantial amount of films that, you know, are worth talking about and discussing and, and evaluating. We have, we have a few, you know, voices in Hollywood that are starting to rise to prominence who are women of color, but it's still yeah. an evolving process that's like taking a lot of time to catch up to. So it's, it's that, tough. It's like an interesting back and forth that we as a society have to kind of like deal with during this, during this time. That's yeah, what and Sabrina and I talked about yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, and with, with what's happening, because um, obviously Greta Gerwig is a newer face in all of this. So 
she's kind of leading the charge currently for women. Um, Sofia Coppola did it a little bit before, but yeah, again, they're telling stories that are so particular to them because I hear a lot of people say like, oh, Gerwig cast no people of color. And like, yes, that is definitely a problem in something like Lady Bird in Sacramento. I I know there's Hispanic people there. Um, so so it, it definitely is something that needs to be addressed. And I and we are very fortunate because right now we're getting all these amazing, as you said, amazing female filmmakers. Melina Matsukas, um, just this past year, um, Lulu Wang, yeah. even even Alma Harrell, who is a white woman, but just for some for some reason, I feel like the ability she had with Shia and getting a bunch of other female filmmakers behind the camera, um, they they had a diverse group of females. So that's somebody who is using their position of power for something really good, even though she is a white female filmmaker. But yeah, I agree. Right. You know, I mean, that that's what we concluded, Sabrina, last time we talked about this, was the mm-hmm. fact that there is, and, and they're on the come up, man. We can't ignore uh yeah. Celine Siama we can't ignore Lulu Wang we mm-hmm. all these directors who are women of color and who are on the come up I, I'm just uh, you know still kind of disappointed that there isn't a larger filmography for us to tackle even if if I'm being real real full disclosure to anyone listening before we even had this conversation uh, I was saying you know I want to do more female directors uh, and, and I want to talk about several of them just because, but there's not enough filmography there for us to make a full episode. Yeah. And and those are the things that personally I find disappointing because yeah. I want to be able to talk about Lulu Wang and Celine Siama and all these other great women of color who are making beautiful movies and, and are starting to lead the charge. But unfortunately, it's, it's, it's just the start. You know, fortunately, it's just the start, but unfortunately, it's just the start because we don't yeah. have those those 30 40 20 years of of female directing excellence and quality and awards and attention they deserve to have um and it's something to be said i guess to conclude our women's march uh film uh <laughs> female director month uh yeah. is that is that we have to focus on yes the success that we're seeing now but also highlight women of color who are telling stories that are not the same as the female directors we've seen before. It's just not the same. And I, and I think it's important to say that, especially to end out this month and this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, definitely. The rise. This is, we're just going to keep talking over each other. Um, The rise of female filmmakers that we've seen in the past few years is incredibly encouraging, incredibly inspiring, just to see these people getting to tell stories that we didn't, we weren't able to see for the past few decades. Um, it makes me really, really happy. And I cannot, I know we mentioned this with the Greta Gerwig episode, I cannot wait to see what like Lulu Wang, um, Alma Harrell, Melina Matsukis, I can't wait to see what they have coming up and all the other female filmmakers and um, women of color filmmakers kind of like on the rise you know yeah coming up in the next but luckily we have you know we have more opportunity it's getting better it's getting better like we're still not nowhere where it needs to be but it is getting better so that's something i guess to celebrate yeah yeah Yeah. that's definitely something to celebrate and i think you know uh i want to give another shout out uh, to everybody i did this during her episode uh, but i do want to you know, her show Queen Sugar, 
Um, every single episode is directed by uh, a woman. Um, most of them, I think over 50% of them are directed by women of color. Um, so that's no, great no. to see that there's a whole TV show that's promoting that. Um, I think in the TV world, we're seeing a lot of um, interesting, great female directors who are rising to prominence. I think of Watchmen is another episode, is another show that we covered, um, where I think about four or five of the episodes were directed by women. Um, I was literally looking it up. Watchmen right now uh, mm -hmm. won the best directing Emmy was a woman. Yeah, right. Uh, right, right, right. I forget yeah, her right, name. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, 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 that's powerful. I mean, that goes to show that, you know, stories don't need to necessarily be um, just one kind of voice. And it doesn't need to be, you know, even if it's something that's comic book centric or superhero centric, it doesn't just have to be uh, a female uh, directing a female-based superhero movie or a female direct, directing a, um, a, a rom-com or something like that. There, there, there should be a diversity in having uh, female talent and female voices representing all kinds of genres. So I'm excited it's, to see that uh, progress over the next few years. And you pointed something out, RB3, the fact that TV, people ignore TV directing. Like uh, TV acting is still popular. TV ratings are, are skyrocketing, but TV directing still goes ignored. And there's a ton, and I mean a ton of female TV directors. Like you just said, um, Watchmen is a perfect example. I, I, I think it might've been DGA, not the Emmy, um, mm -hmm. but either way, DGA, that's almost even better. Um, yeah. it, 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 the fact that they are getting recognized. And like you said, Watchmen is a great example of that. And, and, and I can name so many other shows that have female directors behind the camera. I mean, even when they see us for crying out loud it is one of the best things mm -hmm. I've ever seen anywhere. Yep. Uh, and it is directed by Ava DuVernay, like you just said, and she makes it a point to, to give the opportunity, especially during a TV episode, which is um, just as important and just as difficult as a movie, but much shorter. And, and it gives them the chance to, to showcase their skills. So great, great mm -hmm. mentions, RB3. Great, great shout outs. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Um, already, I think that's it. Uh, what a way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry for whoever was like, yeah, I'm vibing with this. Oh, no. What's this? <laughs> uh, where did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but either way, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Big Enough Podcast. Uh, again, we're going to try and figure out this way uh you know figure out my whole situation everyone's situation as far as where they're at and where they're currently sitting at uh yeah, we'll make it going the entire time yeah exactly uh we'll, we'll make it work is, is what i'm yeah. trying to say and uh hopefully yeah. we'll be uh captivating entertaining and enjoyable for you guys because that's what we want to be um and yeah for the meaning of podcast i'm andres there's rv3 i'm sabrina and we're peacing out guys 